Hello and welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. I'm your host, Bill Bant, and joining me on this ride through the 80s is my co-host, Jason Masek. Hello, Jason. Bill Bant, there isn't going to be a trial. If you didn't guess, today's movie is 1985's crime drama Witness, starring Harrison Ford and Kelly McGillis. Directed by Peter Weir, the movie is rated R with a running time of one hour and 52 minutes. The movie was nominated for eight Oscars, including Best Picture, and won two for Best Screenplay, written directly for the screen, and Best Editing. Yeah, that's crazy, man. You know, I, I had no idea it was nominated for eight Academy Awards. Deservedly so. It's an excellent film. I just don't recall that. And I did not know that Harrison Ford had been nominated for... No, I knew it in the back of my mind. I'm just going to change that statement. But I had forgotten that he was... That was his sole nomination for an Oscar. Yeah, and that's... We'll uh, get to later in the podcast. But in the meantime, what is this... Was I stepping on your toes, Bill Band? Is that what I was just doing right now? Not at all. Did I upset you? Not I did. All. I did. I'm sorry. You did not. Sorry. You did not. <laughs> <laughs> Bill Bat, I didn't say hi. How are you? Good. I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm I'm excellent. I'm excited to talk about this movie. Please, please awesome. go on. All right. So let's uh, tell people what the movie's about. Today's movie, of course, is Witness. What's on the box? If you grew up in the 1980s and went to your local video store to rent this movie, this would be the description you would find on the back of the VHS box. What's on the box? Take it away, Jason. When a young Amish woman and her son get caught up in the murder of an undercover narcotics agent, their savior turns out to be hardened Philadelphia detective John Book. Harrison Ford is sensational as Book, the cop who runs head-on into the nonviolent world of a Pennsylvania Amish community. The end result is an action-packed struggle of life and death, interwoven with a sensitive undercurrent of caring and forbidden love. Witness. What do you think? That's that's what's on the box, Bill Bant. What's on the box? I would give that one um, B plus. I don't like when they do the description with with the actor's name in it. I just want to know the story. I don't. I already know who's in it because of who's on the cover. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't like when they interplay it into the, into the description. Just tell me what the movie's about and pique my interest into seeing it. How about you? Good call. You know what? I almost agreed with you, but I gave it a little more favorable grade. I give it an A minus because I thought it was succinct. This is a short description, but I kind of nails it. Didn't have to go too much into detail. However, I gave it a minus next to the A because it does feel like it should give me a little bit more, as in there's just. Uh, there's some strong themes in this film and I, it touches upon them, but I just, there's a weight to this movie. I think that the synopsis doesn't quite capture. So I get, that's why the minus, but again, I, I, I'm sticking with my a minus. I, I think it's a pretty good. What's on the box. Yeah. Once again, Jason, you're the more favorable grader. I, you know, <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. You would get the more students in your class. You like, should you should know just as well as anyone. But we're writers. I just have a soft spot for any writer. You know, this poor gentleman or uh, yeah, exactly. gentle woman who wrote this, you know, is just trying to make a living. They're doing That's the best true. they can. I don't think that is anybody. <laughs> I don't think that is anybody I've ever met in the industry. Like, oh, yeah, I write the descriptions of the back right. of the, the, the 
There, see, now that makes me think there is a character that does that, though, in a movie, and I can't think of it off the top of my head. Tweet us, email us, yeah, Facebook message us, let us know what movie that is. There is somebody that does blurbs. I don't know if it's for movie, like DVD covers or VHS covers, but it's something similar to that. Oh, anyway, I have a question for you, Bill. Yeah, go ahead. Bill Bant, what would you say the genre is of this movie? That was kind of hard. I was actually going to ask you that before we started this podcast, because it's if you go on IMDb, it says uh, drama, thriller and romance. Mm -hmm. And I don't like to throw in all three when I'm doing the description in the beginning. And I picked two and I was kind of like I left the romance out, but I'm like, there is a lot of romance in this movie. So it should be in there. I don't right. know, rom romantic thriller? See, that's that was on the tip of my tongue. Thank you very much. That's what I was going to say, but that doesn't even sound quite right. Exactly. When I, I think th romantic thriller, I think of uh, fatal attraction almost. You know, something along those lines where you have, it's a little bit more suspenseful. There may be an element of horror in it. I'm not sure. Versus yeah, I, this is more of a romantic drama than even thriller. That's why I asked you because I think it's a little dis difficult to put into just one genre. Obviously, you can't put it into a, a box like that. You have to include thriller, uh, romantic, drama, suspense, but it shifts so significantly throughout the film. I, I don't know. It's a tough one. Yeah, I, I thought it was a tough one, too. I didn't, I, I, what I was going to mention, sorry to cut you off, man, uh, is that Wikipedia classifies it as a neo-noir crime drama. Hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I, no, I, I, don't, I don't agree with that. I don't know. Neo-noir. I don't know. even know what that that means, like a mod, like a, almost a modern film noir. Is that what that's supposed to mean? I, I guess know. so. Yeah, that doesn't work for me. I just thought it was interesting, though. Yeah, let's let's move on for the first topic. Earliest memory of this film, Jason. What is your earliest memory of Witness? Okay, so I wanted to see this movie because I wanted to see Han Solo slash Indiana Jones in another action movie. I didn't get that. I thought it was initially was slow, and now I'm looking at this through the eyes of a teenager. It's 1985. Now I am 12 years old, and I want to see. Harrison Ford do his action thing. So I thought this was a relatively slow paced film initially, and it made me forever frightened of corn silos. All I could think of were Kelly McGillis's boobs. I thought the Amish were ridiculous, but somehow I was envious of their simple life. I mean, I thought if I were to be a, a real man, I should learn how to raise a barn and fix cars, neither of which I know how to do to like this day. This movie for me was like either inspiring or masculine. It makes me question my ability to be a man or my capabilities as a man, I guess. Between the cars and the barns and milking cows, I feel like I need a wooden toolbox with a hammer. I think I, I need to work with wood, like do wood things. I need to make wood things with my hands. That's what this movie makes me, you know, feel. That's what I think. So what am I, but as far, that's, I, I just went off. That's kind of how I feel now. But my initial thoughts when I was younger or memories were uh, I can remember that 
dance in the barn between Harrison Ford and Kelly McGillis, that romantic sequence, the song that's playing uh, on the radio in the, from the car, which is Sam Cooke's Wonderful World, which actually is not Sam Cooke. That is a nope. cover. It's a cover. Sam Cooke sound-alike named Greg Chapman. I did not know that until doing a little research this evening. But hearing the, the I didn't even know that the title of the song as a kid. I thought it was catchy. I loved it. It was memorable. The lyrics don't know much about history. You know, it's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember the intensity of that opening sequence. Lucas Haas, I forgot how young he was. I knew he was a kid, obviously, yeah. in the movie, but I didn't know. I was like, he's a baby. And um, I remember just how intense that uh, sequence was in the opening when he's witness to the murder. And then the reveal of, you know, when Lucas Haas, as Samuel, points out the murderer, who is Danny Glover's character, uh, McPhee. McPhee, yeah. When he sees the photo from the newspaper clipping in that trophy case that's in the police precinct, when he points to it, it's we'll, we'll break down that later on. But I recall that I knew it was a good movie as a kid. Like I knew it was good. You just I had a sense that this was a well done, well crafted film, well acted film. But it still wasn't what I wanted from my Harrison Ford movie as a kid. And uh, those were my earliest memories, man. Uh, yeah, for me, um, yeah, it was definitely three things. Uh, the first thing was it was it was Harrison Ford. And uh, like you said, too, you know, Indiana Jones and Han Solo is doing a movie. Want to see this movie, even though it's R-rated. Um, the second big thing was uh, the movie takes place in Philadelphia, where I was born and raised. There you go. You know, while this movie is coming out, like every news station or local, you know, TV magazine show. Witness, witness, witness. You know, I, I think I watched the same clips from that movie like 800 times before the, the movie came out because everyone was promoting it. Mm-hmm. And uh, the third thing, which is kind of funny, is because it dealt with the Amish. And it's like, okay, why the Amish? Well, if you live in Pennsylvania, um, where this movie was shot, right, in, in, in Lancaster County, when I was a kid, one of the favorite things we used to do as a family, we used to go to Lancaster. There was this amusement park called Dutch Wonderland. And I would highly recommend if you have kids under under 10 to go. It's a great family park and stuff like that. And we would drive out on the 30 freeway, which I think they actually there is a, a shot in the movie where they show the highway. And you'd go out there and literally and it was a two lane road, one way going each way. And there was literally times where we would get stuck in traffic because we would be behind a horse and buggy, just like wow. it was depicted in the movie. That's a, that was a real thing. Yeah, and being a kid, you were like, who are the funny people in the horse and buggy with the funny clothes? Sure. Now it's unique. You have an understanding. Yeah, exactly. As a kid, you're funny looking and stuff like that. And then we would go home and we, you know, they're known for making their furniture and these pies are called shoe fly pies with the basic ingredient was like molasses pies. They were pretty good. So I kind of knew a little bit about the Amish, but not a lot. So to actually see them depicted on screen, I was kind of like, "Ooh, I'm really going to get some insight." Not, not really knowing like not everything really in the movie, even though it's dealing with a, a real life <laughs> setting, is necessarily true. Right. But it was more than just seeing, you know, what I would just see in person, which is the horse and buggy and, the, and their and their unique clothing, and you know, mm-hmm. it's like because we would go in the summer, and then they are all decked out 
and all this black and the coats and the hat. And, you know, here I am wearing my, my shorts and tank top or whatever. And I'm like, how are they wearing that in this weather? And why are they, you know, why are they always riding around a horse in a buggy? I was just fascinated by that aspect. So those three things are what I really wanted to see about the movie. But unfortunately I did not get to see it in the theater, but I do remember at our local uh, video store, they used to have like a little marquee and it would have all the dates and, I literally remember it would, it would say witness, you know, October 13th coming out and I would come home from school and, and literally walk straight to the video store to see it was there. And of course, I think it took like four or five days because it was checked out because, you know, they only had so many cop- copies. So I was just so excited to finally get it and, and see the film. Yeah, it's not what you expect from Harrison Ford up to that point, because there's not really a lot of action in in it. But I think because of what it was about. I was just as interested in that too. So, um, absolutely a little bit more personal for you. Yeah. But it, yeah, but it definitely seemed slow at the time, but definitely rewatching it. I love the pace of the film. I think it just, Oh yeah. Oh, so, oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. It ages well. And that's funny too, because um, there was an interview with Peter Weir and he really thought it was a movie that was not going to hold up totally off base. I, I think it's still a great, great film and if you have not seen it definitely check it out i couldn't agree more i think it holds up extremely well and i think you've touched on a couple points that i'd like to bring back up here one being about the amish themselves and what i thought of them as a child looking at them through child's eyes versus now and still my lack of knowledge education on the tradition cultures and the people themselves you know i have to have a respect for who they are and and it's something I, I can't pretend to understand. Obviously, as a child, you, you make these innocent observations, which now are no longer, you know, not politically correct. However, I just remember, too, as a kid thinking, uh, well, they don't have electricity or they're churning butter or they wear a certain uniform. They have to get up at 430 in the morning. They're always right. And that this and let's just be make this clear to our audience uh, spoiler alert, this is not a documentary about the Amish. This film happens to take place large country, but we do get somewhat of an insight into some of the traditions and cultures, but it's not meant to be an education on exactly whom they are uh, and you know the inner workings of their society and their beliefs. It's not a testament to those things. It's merely uh, an observation a lot through the eyes of John Book, actually, an outsider, a stranger in a strange land. And I think that lends itself more to the storytelling aspect of this movie and why the movie works on a lot of different levels. So I just kind of want to touch on that real quick. And then secondly, let's just I wanted to talk about Harrison Ford really quick, because this is our first Harrison Ford film for all 80s movie podcasts. And it'll be one of many. Harrison no doubt about it and Harrison Ford is for me personally one of the reasons why I got into this business I idolized him as a young boy as a young man he was not only I thought he was a great actor but then I realized he was just a wonderful he was also a wonderful movie star and he was in the movies that changed my life and wanted you know, inspired me to get into the film business as an actor uh, and then eventually writer producer. So I, I credit Harrison Ford because I thought, you know, growing up, he was the ideal leading man. 
I think he is a bit of a, you know, a man's man. I think he does have range. I do think he's actually a very talented actor. Uh, I do think he has range and has a variety of different roles over the years. I still love Harrison Ford. Give me Harrison Ford any day of the week. I don't care if he's just doing the same thing over and over again. Uh, I just want to give a shout out to my guy, Harrison Ford. And uh, if you ever listen to this, thank you personally from the bottom of my heart, uh, (laughs) Mr. (laughs) Ford. He would be one that I would truly be starstruck if I actually met him or saw him. No doubt about it. All right. So let me let me ask you this then. Where would you rank this in Harrison Ford films? Oh, see, because it's, it's kind of dang it, Bill Bant. I should have thought of that question myself and I should have prepared a list. Uh, that's just lazy on my behalf. Now I have to apologize to Harrison Ford um, or apologize to the true fans of Harrison Ford out there. Where would I put this on the list? I, it's got to be in the top 10, I would have to imagine, outside of Empire Strikes Back will always be one of my, this is my favorite film of all time. But are, so are you asking me what are my favorite Harrison Ford movies or at his best performances? It's kind of hard because that's the way I, the way I look at it is I think this is Harrison Ford's best performance, but it's mm-hmm. not my favorite Harrison Ford movie. Right. My favorite Harrison so, Ford movie is Raiders of the Lost Ark. Hands down, that's I think that's a wise choice. I would put this as favorite Harrison Ford movie witness. I'd put it actually third. But performance-wise, I think it's his best performance. I would have to agree with that. I, You know, I, Blade Runner just keeps popping into my head. And I, I think he's excellent in Blade Runner. I know that film his performance is going to be overshadowed just by the world itself the universe that that film takes place in but i think he's excellent in that movie Um, so that's a good one i have to ponder this a little bit longer uh, further hopefully we'll may return to this and i'll have some better just just anytime yeah yeah just just shout it out and random (laughs) (laughs) regarding henry yeah exactly what huh what okay <laughs> yeah, and it's crazy too because thinking of when I watched this movie as a kid, I was more into the you know, John Book character protecting the child and trying to him figure out how he's going to get back at the cops whereas when I watched it, you know, a couple of nights ago, I was focused more on the romance element of it and, just, mm-hmm. you know, just how my perception of the movie has changed. And, you know, we talked about in the beginning, like, how do you classify this movie? Whereas, yeah, if you asked me back as a kid, I would definitely say action drama. We're now right. I'm like, well, it's more of a romantical film and not and not even just between, you know, Kelly McGillis, Rachel and um, Harrison Ford, John Book, but just. The romance of the Amish life, the way Peter Weir shot the farm and just the the shots of the the fields and and, and the grass just kind of slowly moving in the breeze and, and the barn building scene. So, yeah, it's just wow. I think that's a great observation because the f- opening of the film is a montage. It's a series of scenes of Amish country as well as the Amish themselves, it was just a wonderful shot of a group of them coming up over the hill mm-hmm. with that green field flowing in the foreground. And then you have Maurice Jarre's music overlaying that. 
that has this heavy kind of synth sound that a lot, you know, kind of lends itself to a mysticism almost as if this is a different world, something we are not used to, but it has a spiritual and or religious quality to it. And you're introduced to it right away, the very, very beginning of the film. So I completely agree with you. There's a romanticism to that unto itself, to this world we're being introduced to. Let me ask you something, because I was still trying to figure out, even watching this the other day, I was like, what was the spark that really got Book and Rachel going? Because once it starts going, I bought it. Right. But I couldn't figure out what the trigger was to get it going because these two are in such different worlds complete culture clash yeah Yeah. i mean everything is yeah polar opposites one one does whacking one does you know (laughs) milking milking cows so right i don't know was it the fact that he gets shot and she takes care of him so he feels this bond there I, I couldn't put my finger on what it was i'm like what is it that makes the two of them so attracted to each other but once it got going I was in. I was all for it. Did you did you have any theories on it or Absolutely, and I think that's a great question. So, you touched on the scene when she's taking care of him. I'm going to go back even a little bit further, and I think it's extremely subtle is that he is taking care of them by taking them back to their home by evading the corrupt police, the dirty cops. So when he takes them back home, and that's their, that quote I said in the opening, when she says, are we still going to have to take Samuel back to Philadelphia to stand trial? And Harrison Ford looks directly at her and says, there isn't going to be a trial. Oh, He's yeah. saving their lives right there. And I think there is some recognition on her behalf that he is trying to do right by them and saving, in essence, her son. And... So he's playing kind of a caretaker in that way, but obviously suffering from the gunshot wound. And then there is the scene when he's going through it, through the fever, and he takes her hand at one point, kind of, I think, in a way, telling her, thank you for for taking care of me. But he's really in the throes of the fever at that point. He's having a hard time communicating anything. He's not speaking to her, but he does grab her hand firmly during that whole oh, yeah. sequence. So there's a connection there. But for me, I think the strongest point with the initial spark, if that's what you're asking, I think that is, is when she catches him staring at her. When he really is staring at her, he has just, he's come out of the, he's getting better. Uh, I don't believe he's put on Jacob's Amish clothing yet, but he's sitting in a chair and he's staring at her. And I think this is when we know he is initially truly attracted to her, at least physically. He's really admiring her beauty. She catches him staring at her. And I love that moment because she calls him out on it. It's, I think it's a very smart writing instead of the kind of, she doesn't do this shy turning away, like, Oh, don't look at me that way or whatever. She actually says, just like the tourists staring all the time. What a great line. Oh, like yeah. she's strong. Like she's, she knows he's looking at her, maybe thinking he's looking at her because she's different or that he's intrigued by her because she is Amish. 
but I think he, in that moment, that's when he's starting to see her true natural beauty as a woman, not just as not an Amish woman, but as a woman. So that's, I think, so subtly, I think it, it, they're both taking care of each other earlier on. And that may be where the, a little bit of the romance first is developing. But I think when he, after he has healed somewhat and really takes in her beauty or takes her in, in that moment when he's staring at her is the jumping off point for the romance. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, Do we want to get into favorite scenes? Yeah, I had, you know, I'm going to make a couple observations myself here real quick. Yeah, sure. A couple, a couple more observations real quick. When this movie started, and I'm glad we're doing this, it got me excited because this is why we're doing this podcast, my friend, because it is, for me at least, about a lot of this nostalgia, doing 80s films. And when I say film, I mean films, watching movies that are shot on film. As soon as this film begins and we see the titles come up, we see uh, the credits come up, even before the beautiful countryside, the Amish country uh, scenes start playing, you see the grain in the film, and I just wanted to say this, Bill Band. I love doing this with you, man, because I'm watching the the opening and I'm going, I see the grainy film quality, right? In the cop, you know, I'm watching it on YouTube, but still, it's like even if you were watching it on a Blu-ray, you see it, you see those specs on the film as it's going. I'm like, oh man, I just love movies. <laughs> I love actual motion pictures, right? Right. Uh, don't get me wrong, the quality and the technology of f- film today is fantastic. And I have a healthy respect for that and a love for that. But this is just, I, I love seeing actual film rolling. And um, one of the things that I wanted to, th- as in general, when we're talking about this story is how I loved the fact that this story is flipped in a way, and we'll probably break it down for the audience. For some of those who haven't seen Witness, what this story is about exactly, we're not going to do a full recap, but this is more about, from the thriller side of things, the cop story aspect of this, the story's flipped, which I like about this, where it's the dirty cops are actually chasing the good cop, right. not vice versa. And I think that was a little bit something that we hadn't seen before. At least I hadn't seen before. So typically, it's the good guys chasing the bad guys, right? Yeah. And in this, the good cop had to flee and run for his life and hide. And, and it's about the bad cops when we do cut back to their storyline it's about the dirty cops trying to track down john book so i thought that was cool how they flipped the script on that it's not the good cop grabbing his guns and going in guns blazing. it's yeah i gotta retreat recover yeah and then try to figure out what i'm gonna do because yeah there is a scene where he calls where he's like i'm gonna come in and his partner's like no 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 you don't want to do that right now yeah, things right. twisted. It's bad news for you. You got to stay away. So, yeah, he's he's got to be holed up. Yeah. He doesn't really know what's going on. Got to take the horse and buggy out to a payphone and just get little bits of information, right? And somehow he's, he has to deal with the current circumstances of living in the Amish, Amish country. They, he's he has his hands tied, and we have to watch how he survives in that new world. And instead of the typical, we're going to get to watch Harrison Ford be the great cop or the great adventurer and following him on, you know, discovering new things and figuring out the case. This is the the opposite of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's, it's a departure from a lot of traditional 
storytelling in that way I, I found anyway i thought that was cool yeah. so uh yeah we, let's get to uh favorite scenes or what i'd like to call the scenes that blew my skirt up all right what what's uh what's one of your funny your favorite scenes if you have more than one yeah my first one and i'm, I'm sure this is probably on your list too it's when samuel's at the police station Mm-hmm. And he identifies the killer. It's this uh, Amish child who witnesses a murder in Philadelphia. And Harrison Ford is assigned to the case. And they're trying to figure out who this is. And you find out through this scene that the killer is an actual cop. And um, it's a great scene because it's, you know, it starts off with the two of them just kind of looking through pictures. And Harrison Ford's not really paying attention. And he gets a phone call. And then. Um, Lucas Haas, who plays Samuel, kind of gets up because, you know, one of the other cops calls him over and, and he's just kind of walking around the room, looking around, trying to soak all this in because he's never seen anything like this before. And then he comes across that display case and it shows the picture of uh, of the killer. And it's just great because, you know, the sound design and just the look that he makes mm-hmm. and they, the way he makes eye contact with Harrison Ford and like, Harrison Ford knows right away that there's something wrong. Yep. And when he comes over, I just, I just love the fact that when Lucas Haas points at the cop, the McVie played by uh, Danny Glover and the way Harrison Ford just kind of grabs and folds his finger back into him and just brings it down Fantastic. because like no one's really paying attention to the kid, but there's just something about that. You're just kind of like, the way he does it, book knows like, oh man, this is a lot worse than I thought. I, yeah, I just, I just love that scene. It's just great the way it's shot and the close-ups and the and the music and and everything. That was definitely definitely one of my favorite scenes of the film. I'm glad that we're starting with that scene, Bill Bant. Well said. Great points all around. I have about a hundred things now in my head after your description of the scene. One of the themes I found in watching this were the things that are left unsaid. And I think there's a lot of smart direction by Peter Weir. Oh, yes. In the fact that there's uh, there's an unrequited like love, or uh, I don't even know if unrequited, is that's not the correct word. Um, they can't act upon their love. Um, my vocabulary is lacking here. I apologize. but uh, so But they don't talk about it as much. If they do, it's only using a few words. There's a lot of things are understood with looks, with glances, and it's camera movements. It's through the editing. It's through the eyes of the actors. There's a lot of acting with the eyes and just subtle facial expression. It's great. And this is one of those scenes. I really appreciate, you know, there's obviously the chemistry that Harrison Ford has with Kelly McGillis in this film. They're on fire. It's a, It's wonderful to watch. You buy it. I buy it hook, line, and sinker. But also Harrison Ford and the character of John Book really does have a nice chemistry in taking care of Samuel. Yes. And we see it in this particular scene because Samuel is just this toddler almost. Like he's such a young kid who's witnessed a horrific event. And now he's stuck here in Philadelphia and he has to look at it, he has to watch a lineup. Mm-hmm. Uh, and can't identify the killer there. And then he goes into the precinct and he's in the office with all the cops. And like you'd mentioned, Harrison for John book is having him look through the, all the pictures and trying to ID him. And he has his arm around him. And it's great because it's like, 
you can see like Harrison Ford cares about this kid. He's trying to look after him. He knows it's rough for this kid. He's not just treating him as a quote unquote witness. He's a human being. He's just a, a child. And I appreciate that. And so when Lucas Haas as Samuel walks around the precinct, and this is another great thing. I think it's very smart. What Peter Beer does is that we are seeing, especially through in the beginning of the film, everything kind of through Lucas Haas's eyes, through Samuel's eyes, as a child in a brand new world, right? Yes. When he comes to the when he's at the train station, and we're understanding like a fish out of water here, and especially when now he's at a Philadelphia police station. I mean, talk about a foreign land, and he's just kind of walking around in wonderment. And then to have that moment again, that is speechless. There is, there are no words. And I'm going to sh- give a shout out to our friend uh, Marwan here, because every time I bring up witness, this is the first scene he talks about. He's like, I, I can't get enough of that scene. That's the best scene ever. And I, I understand why, uh, because it's all through the direction when Harrison, when John book sees Samuel looking at McPhee's, picture in the trophy case he knows instantly something's wrong there's a, so you get that connection you sense the connection between john book and samuel in that moment and when he comes over and takes care of him and like you said he takes samuel's finger down because this is like you said it takes a turn serious business it's a cop now that they're talking about a dirty cop and if anybody else knows this could blow up in their face very quickly and he's protecting Samuel immediately. He's been protecting him, and we really see it in that moment. Mm-hmm. I love that scene between Harrison Ford and Lucas Haas. It's it's wonderfully directed, wonderful, wonderfully acted. Yeah. Good call. Good call on that scene for sure. It has to be identified. The other scene I love with the two of them is when um, Samuel's explaining like the the windmill, not the windmill, but the the water wheel. The, the, and how yeah. and how it works and he kind of <laughs> he kind of stutters when he's when he's saying it and i'm like yeah he's really telling him like uh, how a seven-year-old would explain it yeah it makes me think of my nephew when he was trying to explain things to me when he was that age mm-hmm. he, he knows exactly how it all works and he's fascinated by it and he wants to tell you about it and he's speaking like a true child would speak. Even the one scene that made me laugh out loud is when uh, they look at the the corn silo the first time and they have the cat there. And he's like, do you want to hold my cat? And literally throws it into Harrison yeah, Ford's yeah. hand. Like, is this you know, you hold it? Back rub? Yeah. You just exactly. do this? It just cracked me up. It was just like, oh, there's just, it's just great chemistry with all these actors in, in mm-hmm. the film. And we'll get into some of the other actors throughout, but. For Lucas Haas, yeah, just exceptional as Samuel. You really see, like, you just see in his eyes the whole time. Like, he's always processing. He's always just processing. Mm-hmm. This every guy. It's, it's almost like he is he is in a different world, which is literally only 60 miles away. Right. That's the distance between Philadelphia and Lancaster, but it might as well be a million miles away. And what a fantastic moment when he first sees the gentleman at the train station taking a sip from the drinking fountain. Oh, yeah. And just fascinated. And he's fascinated, absolutely taken with the drinking fountain. Mm-hmm. What is that? What is that? Yeah. How does that work? And he goes over and he's trying to push the button down. And you just, in that moment, I'm like, yeah, do it. Do it, man. Mm-hmm. Figure it out. You yeah. just want to watch him figure it out and be, again, that it's an innocence, right? It's total innocence. And credit to Lucas Haas. He, he just nails it. He, like you said, you see it in his eyes. You see, he's he's a he was a wonderful child actor. 
Um, what do you got for favorite scene, Jason? So one of my favorite scenes, a scene that blew my skirt up, is definitely the dance in the barn to Sam Cooke's song, Wonderful World. I, you know, it was one of my earliest memories, something that I carry when, with me when I think of Witness. I think of that scene. Uh, it's a very romantic scene. It's And there's a lot of, with the the romance of this film, when that music starts, there's, it's obviously a romantic setting in the barn and the hay, the, the light coming from the radio within the car. And then there's that soft glow from the, the lighting is great. And they begin dancing and she is taken with him and she's laughing and it goes from it. You experience a lot of different levels in the scene when it goes from some just awkward, nervous laughter to then real uh, sexuality and sensuality when they stop and pause and you think, are they going to kiss here? Grab her here. Is he going to pull her in here? And is he just going to take her now? And then he starts singing the song again and twirls her around again. And it's again, wonderfully acted, wonderfully directed. You fall in love with them, falling in love with each other. If that makes sense in that one scene. And I, in a little bit of the research I had done when they were choosing the song for the scene, Peter Weir wanted a song that Harrison Ford was a fan of something that he was familiar with that he could dance to. And that was one of Harrison Ford's favorite songs. So they used it yeah, because he knew it makes sense, something he was comfortable with. And so, and you can see the Harrison Ford's the man in that scene, uh, you know? Yeah. It's definitely a different side that, you see of him uh, really for the first time in, in any of his films. Mm-hmm. He's, he's always the rough rogue or, or something like that. And this is more of a, you know, lighthearted. Uh, well, not really lighthearted, but there's you just a softer side to him. He's being, he's very playful, very yes. playful, flirtatious mm-hmm. in the scene, but genuinely so. And I have a real appreciation for that. I'm thinking about, Romancing the Stone now in the dancing sequence there between Michael Douglas and Kathleen Turner, how there was the genuine chemistry between those two. And that was a there was some realism in that scene because Michael Douglas didn't even know cameras were rolling. And then I think of Kelly McGillis in Top Gun with Tom Cruise. And that works on a different level, but the chemistry isn't quite there. That's just my opinion. Mm-hmm. It's it's a different movie altogether, a different genre, and it has its place and it works within that genre, that film. But in this movie, my point being is I love it when you can see two actors truly in the moment, feeling the chemistry. You see it in their eyes, the way Kelly McGillis, her performance in this particular sequence in the barn, when she looks at him. And the smiles that she gives and the laughter that she provides, I, I'm in 100%. She's in love. Or she's, fall, she's in the process of falling in love. Truly infatuated, as is he, as he's having fun wooing her in that scene. So that's my, uh, that's my first favorite scene. Okay. Um, yeah, my next favorite scene is the barn raising scene. Love the barn raising scene. 
you just absolutely absolutely uh, that was my next one as well yeah okay yeah and um just you know a little factor that they literally shot that in a day so they did raise the barn literally in in a day um, i mean they did supposedly have a crane behind the set to do the the right. lifting like they did but um i think because like for me like i said it, it almost gave a little insight into the amish and just seeing how this community comes together to help one another it's just like hey guess what such and such need a barn we're all doing the bar you know barn because i mean you hear them talk about it throughout the film like oh yeah the barn raising's happening right hopefully we get you know, john book you're going to join us uh if you're still here for the barn you know barn raising you know every, everybody lends a hand and just there's just the shot of the kids almost uh with the blocks practicing their hammering because they know at, at one point i love that a, i yeah. always remember that too when it cuts it I was amazed at how much I remembered about this film, actually. I was like, oh, and then it happened. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I love that shot. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah, it's a great one with the kids nailing the the nails into the little blocks of wood. And then, the you know, the women are all working on the quilts and and doing Mm -hmm. their talk and and the food. And then, you know, they all break for lunch. And it's just it was just fun. It was was just it was just a great moment. The music is just so gorgeous. And just the, you know, the shots of them just all working together and just how you know, the Amish are admiring this outsider who's in there lending a hand and he's really pulling his weight. Right. It's yeah. It's just a beautiful scene. And uh, it's, it always, yeah, it always just sticks out out to me. It's just the, the raising of the barn and, and it's not necessarily an important piece to the film, but in a way it does encapsulate the film where it's like, yeah, this really shows this is a whole, a totally different from what John book is used to, you mm-hmm. know, he works in an organization where there's corruption and now he's in a community where everyone pitches in and helps one another. Once again, shows the differences of the two worlds. Again, well said Bill Bant and you nailed it. You said community. That's what I was thinking. Communal effort coming, you know, with John book coming from a society that's a bit more individualistic and then entering this world where everybody does work together and easily you could have, I thought going into the scene, I think I thought this as a kid as well, is that I was, you were going to witness the, no pun intended. You were going to witness (laughs) the competition between Daniel and John book, Alexander Goodenough. Oh yes. That they would try to out carpenter each other. Mm-hmm. you know, outwork each other in building the barn. Look at what I can do. Look at what I can do. I can do what you can do only better. And that was not the case. You get to watch them all working in unison and together. And it's, it's a great sequence. I, I've always enjoyed it. I always remember it when I think when this, again, when I hear witness, I think of this scene and I think of the dancing, the bars, yeah, I think of Lucas Haas scene, you know, but, the raising of the bar when you see that frame when they pull that frame up i always have that visual in my head and i'm like oh that'd be that's kind of cool how they did that and the fact that they actually did that that they actually did build that barn in a day in reality is cool and a little behind the scenes trivia as well is that although many amish wanted to contribute to this film they did so behind the scenes. So there was some carpentry and electrician electric work done by the Amish, but they true to Amish form did not want to be photographed. They did not want to be on film. 
So the actual extras that we see in the film are Mennonites. Mm-hmm. They are not Amish. Yeah. Um, I couldn't tell you the difference between the Amish and Mennonites. I should have, you know, I, I need to talk to my research department about that. Um, our production team, which is non-existent at this moment. <laughs> but um, I just thought that was a little fun fact that the Amish didn't want to be on, that they're not actually Amish in the film. They're Mennonites, the, the, the actors, the extras we see. But back to, sorry, do you we want to make a point there? I just want to make sure that we cover Alexander Gudnoff um, in oh, this yeah. movie at some point, because you, you kind of brought him up playing Daniel, who's also uh, searching for the affection of Rachel. Because you find out in the beginning of the movie, um, Rachel's husband uh, passes away. Uh, we don't know how, we don't why, we, ne- we never even see him. Cause, yeah, because that was one of the things I was really looking for. I was like, is there a picture of him? Anyway, but yeah, they don't, they don't do pictures. So there is no picture of him. And even at the funeral, the, the pastor or whoever's doing the service is standing over him and you can't see his face. So you, you, know, you don't mm-hmm. know who you don't, you don't know who he is. All you know, he was Kevin Costner. Yeah, exactly. It's Kevin Costner. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. All we know is he's smaller than Harrison Ford or John book. Right. So Daniel played by Alexander is, is courting now Rachel kind of thing. And I just love the dynamic between him and Harrison Ford. Cause it is that like, keep my friends close but my enemies closer where Mm -hmm. he kind of has this respect for him but he's always like so when are you leaving when are you getting out of here so i can so i can so i can make my move yeah i just loved him in the film he he only has a couple of scenes but he's just great he's his first film yeah or at least first english speaking film yeah and he has such a wonderful presence very charming yeah i thought he was amish um, yeah, yeah. First time, right. first time I saw it, and yeah, he he passed away way too early. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely had some uh, great roles there in the eighties, but yeah, I definitely wanted to make sure he was mentioned in, the, in this podcast uh, as Daniel, and I, I I just thought he was he was props great. to Alexander Goodenough, and uh, we also know him as the terrorist Carl from Die Hard. You know, oh, yeah. I mean, that is just an his signature role, yeah, bad guy. That is really his, and he's wonderful in that. I mean, he's great, mm-hmm. but yeah, it is funny. You brought up the fact that keep your enemies closer because that when he goes to John book and he says, Oh, it looks as though you're feeling better. It's like, yeah, I am. He's like, good. That means you'll be leaving soon. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but he doesn't say it like that. He doesn't say it with the tone so, I just used. He says it more like, Oh, good. Then I mean, you'll be leaving soon. He's yeah, so okay. charming. He's so right, charming. Yeah, it's almost he like doesn't. he didn't. He's like, oh yeah, you're being a dick. I get it, but you're, you're being nice. You're kind of a cool dick. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it's funny. Uh, Do you have another favorite scene? I do have real quick when John Book returns to form, and this is meaning after he's gotten the the bad news that his partner Carter has been killed, and we know it's at the hands of the dirty cops, and then he hops into the buggy with. Eli and they encounter some town folk, the regular folk who make fun of the Amish and John book hops out of the buggy and beats the crap out of that guy. And it's, uh, I love that scene every time because you see this guy get his comeuppance. And, but the point being, there's a little deeper meaning in that scene where we see, even though John book has become for the time being one of them, He's been welcomed into the community and he's learning their ways, so to speak. 
he still is who he is. He's a cop who is used to physical violence, violence in general, and gruesome brutality. And he is, he shows his true colors in the scene. And that's actually what gives him away, which reveals where he is because one of the regular town folk witnesses it and talk, says something to the sheriff. And we know then the sheriff is going to say something to the dirty cops who yeah. then will know exactly where he is. So, uh, yeah, we're, yeah, we're three for three. Oh, that, outstanding. That, that was still the <laughs> and, it, and it's funny. I because, always look forward to that scene. Yeah. And Cause you want to see that guy get his ass kicked. Oh yeah, exactly. Cause it's funny. Cause like I said, cause this film was shot in Philadelphia and they promoted the crap out of, I must've seen that scene 800 times because that was the clip they always showed when they promoted the film. But then even seeing it in the context of what had happened, because he's stewing because he just found out his partner was murdered um, or killed in the line of duty, which you know is probably not true. You get it. Why he does that. Not, not only is he, now taken into their culture and wants to defend them and it's great too because you know eli tries to stop and he's like it's not our way and he's like but it's my way yeah great moment i don't think he did enough damage to that guy to be honest and then no, and i was hoping he'd kick the crap out of all of his friends too exactly like single-handedly and then i got so mad at even at the old guy ratting him out because you're kind of like oh this is bad for tourism and i'm like well the reason you have tourism is because of the amish and you're watching them get picked on and you don't do anything for them so yeah. I want to. I want to. I want him to get his ass kicked too. Exactly. I don't care. Get him run over by the buggy. <laughs> I hope he gets stuck behind buggies in traffic every day for the rest of his life. There we go. <laughs> yeah. So then, my last scene that blew my skirt up is the final action scene. It's great. It's intense. The corn silo scene is upsetting, and it's cool. It's just a great way for a baddie to get killed. Death by corn, yes. I love Danny Glover's death. And then, of course, the finale, you know, when, again, community, when the Amish come together to after Lucas has rang the bell and they're coming from over the hillside to come to the rescue of Eli and uh, Rachel and, of course, John Book. Uh, it's a fantastic ending. Which, what would you say is your favorite scene? out of out of those or did you even want to pick one um yeah i I would go with my the first one i said with with samuel identifying the killer just the way it's it's just gorgeously shot It, it it's definitely in a film class that would be a scene if i was the professor that's what i would show my students Yep. and just like look how there's not a lot of dialogue everything's done with just eyes and hand gestures and it's funny because i you know, when I'm writing, I, I get accused of being very dialogue heavy because I think it's just easier for me to write dialogue out and then sure. do action thing and, and cut back. Well, we'll maybe try to remember that because I'd like to talk about that a bit, a little bit later because I do the same because that lends itself to that point I was making earlier about leaving things unsaid. Mm-hmm. You don't need dialogue to portray, relay concepts, ideas, feelings. You know what I'm saying? And it's funny, too, on a, on a side note, is the first um, screenplay I ever did have was the screenplay to witness, which I don't have anymore. I gave it to someone to borrow because mm. they were asking me to uh, help them write a film. And they're like, oh, I don't understand how. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you can hear I have the script to witness. You can read that and just see how the structure break down. And I never got it back. Right. Um, 
pissed. I'm pissed I never got it back. But, yeah. I mean, I'm yeah. sure, you know, now nowadays you can find it online and download it. But sure. yeah, it was the first script I, the I, I, I ever had. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's not the same. That's very cool, man. I totally agree with you. I cannot disagree. Uh, it is the textbook awesome scene. I mean, it's just like you said in the classroom, this is the scene you would break down and why it works so well. I, that moment of recognition Lucas Haas has, followed by the moment of recognition that Harrison Ford has, that Lucas Haas has had a moment of recognition. It's just amazing. Exactly. They both have that jaw-dropping moment. But to me, I, yeah, uh, so I agree with you. That is the scene that blew my skirt up. I'll just say the dance in the barn is a close second for me only because of something you touched upon earlier is that now in my old age, uh, my perspective has changed and I do have an appreciation for the romantic storyline here. And that's why I really adore that scene. And I find it much more attractive today than I did then, but still Samuel identifying McPhee in the precinct is, has to be my scene that blew my skirt way up. All right. Um, let's move on. Um, soundtrack. Yeah. The music. Yes. By Maurice Jar. Mm-hmm. Um, who has done one of my favorite movies of all time, uh, Lawrence of Arabia. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So what did you think of the music in Witness? The music by Maurice Jar, I thought initially was interesting, and then I found it distracting. I'm not a fan of this particular soundtrack. I have an appreciation for what I interpret it as trying to do, or more... You know, I'm trying to understand it, I suppose. There's a synth, a heavy synth feel to it. Again, I alluded to it earlier where in the beginning, in the very beginning of the film, you hear that synthesizer. I'm like, is this, did Vangelis do this? Is this Vangelis? Okay. Oh, no, it's Maurice Jar. It has a bit of an otherworldly feel, something mystical about it. I mentioned the spiritual, religious feel. I have an appreciation for that. And then at other times distracting and i would have preferred uh, something a little more subtle maybe string a string orchestra uh, versus that kind of synth keyboard sound and spots but that's uh just my opinion how do what do you think how do you feel about it yeah it was kind of funny because going into this i kept humming this music in the in the back of my head which i thought was witness and then when i started mm. watching it and i was like wait this isn't right and i realized i was doing the music from dances with wolves John, the John Barry score. Speed of Kevin Costner. And uh, oh yeah. Sure. I was like, oh yeah, that would kind of fit a little bit better with this. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I was okay with it, wasn't in love with it. But like I said, he's done such great work over the over the past Lawrence Arabia, Dr. Shivago, Passage India. It's okay, not great he and it was well but, received. It, but it got nominated time, he, it did get nominated he, he and he won a bafta award too for best score i believe mm-hmm. but he was it was also nominated for an oscar Is yeah that what you was, was nominated there you go so well there you go yeah did you uh have anything else to say about that you want to move on to our swiss cheese segment yes the swiss cheese segment yes 
Hello, this is Jason, co-host of the All 80s Movies Podcast, with a message from Factor Meals. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer, thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you will always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you will always have new flavors to explore. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Head to factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 and use code 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code 80smovies50 at factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So this is our Swiss cheese segment. And Jason, why do we call it Swiss cheese? Because although this movie is delicious, it does have holes. All right. You want to go first with Swiss cheese? I will. Right off the bat, Daniel, Alexander Goodenough's character, Man, you know, Jacob, I don't even know if he's in the ground yet. Jacob being poor Jacob, who is passed on. He's, he's no longer with us. Rachel's husband. Mm-hmm. And uh, Daniel's moving in on Rachel pretty fast. He's, he's making his move pretty quick. So I was like, look, you're charming. I get it. You're, you're a handsome Amish man that's uh, strapping, capable man that uh seems to be next in line i guess he's a family friend he's like eli's son that's even mentioned in the dialogue but he's moving in pretty quick i was like come on shouldn't there be what's the moratorium or what's the uh oh yeah exactly like there's got to be period of mourning here give rachel some space for like a couple weeks at least man Mm-hmm. And then right after that, it's like he's a show off. You know, they he sees them off at the train station, and then Lucas has Samuel's looking out the window, and who's standing on his uh, buggy there racing down the street? I think isn't that Daniel that's showing off, or is that no, yeah. another Amish no. gentleman? Okay, no, that yeah. was Daniel. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, now he's just showing off. Like, you know, nobody likes to show off, Daniel. You know, so that was my first hole. Yeah, that, that was definitely pretty quick. I was like, man, yeah, he's literally not even in the ground yet and he's already yeah, kind of easy, easy laying the groundwork <laughs> <laughs> although i have to say you know what it is funny because i thought about that i was like oh there he is you know even at the memorial service where at the house and daniel walks up to rachel and says i'm sorry about jacob you know he was a good man or whatever it is he's or he says i'm sure he'll walk he's walking with god now or oh, something yeah. to that effect yeah. and then he exits screen and we see rachel kind of look after him and I'm like, Rachel, Rachel, he's, you know, you need to back down a little bit too. Okay. That's your husband just passed this. Have some respect because that sounds okay. Let's move on. Sorry. I, I was getting a little upset. I was getting a little heated there. Man. Yeah, exactly. Man. Some respect. Yeah. My first Swiss cheese was the 
the murder scene in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Only because there's no way. And I kind of wish they put something in there because I was like, they would have found poor Samuel in that bathroom. Uh, McPhee hears the noise and he starts going through the stalls. And uh, his, his partner's like, oh, I already checked him. I already checked him. And when he gets to that last one and sees that it's locked and then kicks it open, I was like, wouldn't you go back through the stalls again? Right. I was just yeah, kind of. I thought that too. I was just kind of hoping that maybe like someone would come into the bathroom and kind of stop him from. Right. Checking, That's, rechecking. Yeah. Yeah. Well, why would the stall be? The stall wouldn't mysteriously lock. I'd go back through the stalls again. So. Right. That always kind of, I mean, granted, you don't have a movie then if he gets caught, but that always kind of bugged me a little bit that uh, there wasn't something to distract McPhee from having to leave the bathroom and he could have found right. poor Samuel in there. Credit to Samuel, though, quick on his feet, acting yes. in that moment. It's not only lock the door, because I'm thinking if I were that age, I'd be losing my mind, scared as hell to do any. I'd probably freeze, much less lock the door, then stand on the toilet so he Nobody see if anybody looked underneath the door, but then crawl underneath into the other stall, knowing that that door is going to get broken down. Like he thinks really quickly. Yes. He, he thinks pretty fast. It's And that impressive. little cool uh, Raiders callback where he's got to grab the hat before. Oh yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> yeah. So it was, that was kind of funny. They kind of threw that in there. So my next hole, I'm going to tell you about my, my next hole, Bill. Don't get too excited. Yeah, uh, is from the very same scene. So okay. Danny Glover is playing dirty cop, dirty narcotics officer uh, McPhee. And after the murder where he literally cuts this poor guy's throat, he seems confused about what to do with the knife. And I'm like, in that moment, he's like looking around going, looking for the paper towel. And I'm going, dude, you're a cop, man. What's, what's your instinct? You're a, you're a cop. Maybe now I am a little bit more used to CSI and what it's like. First thing you do is wipe the prints, get rid of the evidence. Right. Mm -hmm. But I just thought that was fascinating that in the moment after he slits this guy's throat, he has no idea what to do with his own knife. The switchblade that he used to kill him. Right. Because then on top of that fact, first of all, you should know what to do with the knife because you're a cop. Secondly, this was premeditated, right? They planned on doing this. They both went into the bathroom with the intent of killing this undercover cop. So so crazy doing that in a public place like that. Right. So that unto itself, we could maybe we have a lot of problems with the scene, yeah, even exactly. though it's like one of the most intense scenes. But I just thought it was funny. It's like if you planned this out that we're gonna take him out in the bathroom. So I'm gonna you throw your jacket around his head, you hold him down, you know, you hold him back while I cut his throat. Okay, we got it. On three, one, two. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's premeditated. Yeah. He still doesn't do that with the knife. Like, you thought about this. You didn't think this through? I, yeah. That was always kind of conf that kind of confused me. Anyway, moving yeah. on. Yeah, I think you're just trying to be more sold by the violence and not necessarily their execution. Right. Yeah, so my, my next Swiss cheese moment is um, when the other officer, I mean, it's a cool death, the death by corn. But yeah. the fact that he crawls into the, the silo and is in there for five minutes, you go in, it's an empty circle. What more do you need to see? Okay. If somehow John book Spider-Man up the side of the silo, you got another problem. Totally. It's just like peek your head in. You see, it's not in there. He move on. But like I said, there's, 
then 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 you move the best thing but that always drives me nuts i'm like why is he climbing in there what is he looking around for it's an empty silo <laughs> you deserve to die by corn yep you mm-hmm. deserve to suffocate under a pile of corn that's my own like because you're absolutely right spends way too much time in there and then on top of the fact when the, the corn starts falling on him just get mm-hmm. the fuck out of there man Oh yeah, that, what, what are you sticking around for? That's because he just waits way too long, and then he can't breathe, and then he starts to sort of try and claw his way out, climb out of the door, but it's too late. The corn is already piled up too high, and it's like, dude, why didn't you just climb out the hatch immediately mm-hmm. when that started happening? I would be so freaked out. That's kind of a, an intense death because just watching that and just like you're yeah. just choking to death on that. It's just yeah. Tough. And here's a. Did you read the the little behind the scenes on that one? Uh, well, the first thing I was going to say that the actor who plays yeah. um, Fergie Angus McLennis, mm-hmm. I think I'm, I'm I'm sorry if I butchered his name, but that's actually his third film he did with Harrison Ford. Oh no, kidding! Yeah, he was gold leader in Star Wars. Oh my God! Another okay. You're yeah. gonna love my who's that actor and and then um, he is in Force Ten from Navarone. Navarone. That's totally funny. different genres with uh, Harrison Ford. So a little uh, behind the scenes trivia yeah. was that actor. They gave him scuba gear, so he actually was in there when they were dumping. Either him or the stunt man was in there when they were dumping the corn on him. So that was done it but for him to breathe uh he had scuba gear yeah it's actually one of those things even watching it where i believe i'm like yeah with all that corn dust and just the corn bouncing yeah. I, I could i was like would that, would that really happen i'm like no i could believe you would actually death by corn oh absolutely it's a horrific way to go and that's stayed with me to this day mm-hmm. whenever i think about it. again it's another scene i think of immediately from uh witness yeah uh what else you got for swiss cheese there's a couple, this is really nitpicky, but when it. Book initially puts it together, after Samuel has identified McPhee as the cop killer, John Book goes to his boss, Schaefer, mm-hmm. and says, it makes sense because a bunch of these 10 55-gallon or sorry, it could be the other way, 55, 10-gallon drums of P2P that it was this chemical that's used to make uh, speed went missing. And who was on the case that recovered all these drums initially? It was McPhee. But John Book doesn't actually make the connection between the fact that the undercover cop that was killed must have been working that case of these missing drums of P2P. Oh yeah. Are you following me? Like he doesn't actually say that he doesn't connect the dots in the dialogue in that scene. When he comes to Schaefer, Mm -hmm. he just says it makes sense because McPhee was the lead narcotics officer on this particular case that recovered all this P2P. And now the P2B P2P is missing from the evidence locker room. And it's like, okay, that's great. We know that McPhee is a bad guy, but why did they kill the undercover cop then? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's because the undercover cop knew, like he was investigating that. Right. He was going to uncover this whole thing, which uh, we then learn obviously involves Schaefer as well. But 
anyway, it was just kind of weird that they didn't actually say it. We just have to, it's understood. Like I figured it out. Great. So it's not like it makes that much of a difference. But anyway. Yeah. I kind of wish there was, or maybe there was, and they cut it out an earlier scene with Schaefer, just so you can kind of know who he was instead of him, Harrison Ford, just blindly showing up to his house and explaining everything. Cause you're like, wait, who's this guy? What's his role in all of this? Right. That happens a few times in the film when you just, there's something, there's a, a brief bit of dialogue or a, a, a very, very small scene that's missing. And as an audience member, it's, you know, it, it's almost like we're just ex- supposed to understand that that has happened and that's okay, but it's still noticeable, mm-hmm. which is just a very, very minor distraction. If that makes sense. Yeah. I had another small, really funny, like nitpicky hole is that when Sam Cooke's song starts playing and the dance sequence follows Harrison Ford, when he hears the song, steps out of the car and starts tapping uh, on top of the car. Oh, he of, has no rhythm whatsoever. Rhythm, yes. He's so out of sync with the song. It's hilarious. It's like, oh, man, this wait, do you know even know what 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 are you doing? Exactly. Why are you tapping on the car like that? That's I was not, like, you not pick, even close. You pick the song. Right. You this is be. your this is your song. Mm-hmm. Like, good luck dancing to it. Yeah. I don't know yeah. how he pulled off the dancing. I did do a little cringe face when I saw that. I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> no, no, beat, no beat there. Uh, that's funny. So did you have any other holes? <laughs> no, I'm out, I'm out of holes. I ate all my Swiss you've, cheese. Yeah. You've covered all your holes. Yeah, I've covered all my holes. Yeah. I have one remaining open hole. And right, go for it. That's way too descriptive, Jason. My last one is at near the end when finally, finally, John Book and Rachel come together in the under the, the you know the overcast sky and they're kissing fiercely i mean fiercely oh, yeah. kissing that's like a almost like an angry makeout mm-hmm. and they are they're like eating each other's faces yes and uh the music is terrible that's my hole for this it's not so much that they're eating each other's faces because you understand they've been wanting to do this for the past two hours of the movie but it finally happens. And then it's Maurice Jarre's sound. The soundtrack sounds like it's organ music from a, a different eighties movie, an actual eighties horror movie. It's weird. The music is really weird during that sequence. That's my last hole. That's just me being a dick about the music. Yes. That was nominated for Oscar, Jason. <laughs> what the fuck do I know? <laughs> it's, all, it's all good. It's all good. All right, let's uh, let's move on to our next segment. It's um, hey, it's that actor. So this is an actor. It's either a character actor we see. Um, it's an actor that's making a cameo appearance, or um, an actor in one of his very first or early roles. So Jason, who's your hey? It's that actor. All right. So you had mentioned the actor that played Ferguson, aka Fergie, who had a role in Star Wars, which also starred Harrison Ford. And my hey, it's that actor is going to be the gentleman who played the custodian in the very beginning of the film, right after the murder takes place in oh, the bathroom. Yes. That actor is the one and only Robert Earl Jones, father of James Earl Jones, who is the voice of Darth Vader. We're playing a little six degrees of Star yeah, exactly. Wars here. Yes, that's definitely a good call. And Robert Earl Jones was a working actor, or at least somewhat. He was in The Sting and a few other things in the early 80s, mid-80s. So, yeah, Robert Earl Jones was the custodian 
whom Harrison Ford in the beginning approaches as if he were the actual witness. But he says, clear, the custodian says, no, I just talked to the kid. The kid is the one who actually saw it. So that's Robert Earl Jones, father of James Earl Jones. That's my, it's that actor. So who's yours? So for my Hanson actor, this actor was making his motion picture debut. He played Daniel's brother, Moses, and would later go on to star in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. My Hanson actor is Viggo Mortensen. Yeah, and it's crazy to think that he makes his film debut in 1985, and it takes him almost 16 years to be a household name. He's in a handful of scenes in this movie, the funeral scene, the barn-raising scene, and when Books kicks uh, those tourists' ass. So The Lord of the Rings really shot him to stardom, because before Lord of the Rings, he only had small parts in movies such as Young Guns, Daylight, Crimson Tide, G.I. Jane, and Perfect Murder, and then after... He got to do movies like A History of Violence, oh, Eastern Promises, yeah. and Green Book. I really wish he was doing those type of movies early in his career, but he became an overnight success 16 years later. So that's my Hey, It's an Actor, Viggo Mortensen. Uh, that's a great one. Do you want to move on to uh, Fun Facts and Trivia? Yes, let's move on to Fun Facts and Trivia. As, as I said uh, in the beginning, um, the film was filmed on location in Philly and uh, Lancaster. Oh, by the way, one of the other towns that it was filmed in, uh, in Pennsylvania, it was called Intercourse. Intercourse. Not sure That's not, I'm not kidding. I don't know where that is. Yeah, I don't either, to be honest. Hmm. But I'd like, to, I'd like to visit Intercourse someday. Moving on with fun facts and trivia, everyone. Yes, facts and trivia. Oh! In the opening scene when they're at the uh, train station and... Um, Samuel's uh, walking around and he uh, sees a statue. Mm-hmm. So the statue is actually called the Pennsylvania Railroad War Memorial statue. And it was um, commissioned to honor the Pennsylvania Railroad employees who died in World War II. At the base of the pedestal right. of the um, statue is the names of all 1,307 railroad employees who perished in the war. So if you're ever in Philadelphia and you're at the 30th Street Station, done by uh, uh, Walker Kirkland Hancock. Very cool. So I have a little fun fact. William Kelly and Earl W. Wallace, uh, their original screenplay was actually 182 pages, and it was entitled Called Home. The original title was Called Home, which is the Amish term for death. Oh, okay. thought that was interesting. It was we mentioned earlier, we we, uh, talked about the uh, barn scene. Just mentioned that Harrison Ford got to pick out the song that he was going to sing. They actually shot that scene during the day, and they used uh, blackout uh, to cover the barn, um, which um, is like this heavy blanket material. Right. And they were just saying how hot it was in that barn because not only does it block out the sun, I mean, it yeah, it makes things black. If you note, if you watch the scene, because I, I was really looking at it this time, and you see that the bar door is kind of a jar and like yeah there's Mm. no kind of natural light coming in i'm like oh yeah they got they definitely did that and that's why the actors in that scene are just so sweaty because it was so hot in that barn like they had was that was that lantern so between being in basically an enclosed box with the heat lantern and stuff like that that explains why yeah it was so hot they were they were shooting that during the day got it that's cool Mm mm-hmm um, this is also Peter Weir's first American film. 
Yes. Australian director. This is the first American film uh, after the financial backing had fallen through for Mosquito Coast, which then, of course, he would go on to direct with starring whom other else but uh, Harrison Ford. Uh, next fact. So supposedly at, at the ending scene where John Book's going to go you know, off and stuff like that, there was literally two pages of dialogue that was supposed to explain right. like why they can't be together and stuff like that. Right. Yep. They cut that out and I'm glad they did because everything just works by looks. And that fantastic. It was, and it's awesome. The look back and forth between. Yeah. There's the looks when Harrison Ford just shout, shout out to Kelly McGillis boobs, that whole sequence uh, when, you know, he's staring at her half naked and she almost just presents herself to him. Mm-hmm. And that's a fantastic uh, back and forth. And uh, I make jokes about the nudity, but the just the way that they're looking at each other is very intense. Not a word needs to be said. Yeah. And then, yes, in the very end, again, the looks, you know, when he's saying goodbye with his eyes and she's doing as well, she just gives him a little bit of a smile, some sort of, you know, doesn't have to be an entirely sad moment, but it is bittersweet. All right, uh, let's move on to the box office. Um, so this movie was released on February 8th, uh, 1985. It would go on to gross $68.7 million. It didn't hit number one until its fifth week of release um, because uh, it couldn't climb over the juggernaut, which was Beverly Hills Cop at the time, which yeah. I believe uh, was number one from was 13 weeks straight. Crazy. Uh, and Witness yeah. was the one that juggernaut. broke. Yeah. Uh, Witness was finally the one that broke the Beverly Hills Cop streak. And then I think the following week, Beverly Hills Cop went back to number one. And sure. then um, something finally uh, knocked it out there. Um, so, yeah, definitely, you know, for that time, uh, a very good hit, very well acclaimed. Like I said, uh, definitely uh, Oscar winner. At the movies, you know, because we always, uh, growing up, uh, we always watched Cisco Ebert at the movies or sneak, or it was called sneak previews. But at this time, when this movie came out, it was called At the Movies, and um, Cisco and Ebert gave it two huge thumbs up. Um, they really loved the movie, um, they really loved uh, Peter Weir's direction. Looking forward to what he was going to do in the future. And uh, yeah, Peter Weir definitely made uh, some great movies uh, moving on. So, uh, yeah, this brings us to uh, final thoughts. Um, yeah. Jason, any final thoughts on Witness? Um, I, this is, uh, has a lot of great quotes, actually. And I'm going to run through a few of them real quick. John Book early in the film says, uh, there isn't going to be any trial. Love that quote. Uh, when Kelly McGillis says to john book like tourists always staring when he is taking in her beauty love that there's a great sequence when schaefer is calling the local sheriff in amish country trying to track down john book and clearly has no grasp as to how difficult it's going to be like a needle in the hay in a haystack trying to find john book amongst the amish and he says to the sheriff hey maybe you could do a little telephoning and the sheriff replies, yeah, maybe I could. But since the Amish don't have any telephones, I wouldn't know who to call. Love that line. Mm-hmm. And then uh, later on, when the tourists in uh, the Amish town come in and you have a lady wanting to take a picture with uh, Harrison Ford with John Book. That's a great. Line. And he just looks at it. He says, lady, you take my picture with that thing. I'm going to rip your brassiere off and strangle you with it. You got that? <laughs> yeah. 
See what that Amish man said to me? <laughs> that Amish man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, some great shots in this film. It's beautifully shot. If I had a, if I could design my own poster for this and put it up in my man cave, mm-hmm. my own poster of witness would be the shot of uh, Schaefer, McPhee, and Fergie, the three dirty cops coming over the hill at oh, the yes. end of the film, and you, it's early morning and it's overcast and you can kind of see the mist in the air and you see the ranch houses in the background, the distance. Yeah. And they're in the foreground. Such a great shot. You see the three of them. First thing that popped in my head was like high noon kind of, yes, it's the yes. early morning, but yeah. Uh, love that shot. I'm glad Even you brought before that, up. that. I love the. What's that? No, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I, I love that shot too. And I was like, Oh, we're going to yeah. talk about it. I even love the shot before that when they arrive on the scene in their car, when you see the car come over the hill and then it stops and the headlights turn off and the car rolls back. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just, it's cool. It's, it's, it's some great filmmaking. Um, I got lost in this film. This is one of my final thoughts, man, is that I forgot how immersed I get into the story when John books there amongst the Amish. I mean, I sometimes I not only do we not cut back often, nor do we need to to the the dirty cops and his partner Carter and what he's up to, and mo- a lot the bulk of the film throughout you know the second act, especially in the third act, is with the Amish. Where I really get immersed in it. I get lost in it. I don't care about the rest of it. I get lost in the romance, and it's kind of sweeps me, takes me away. Uh, and it is very romantic just in that, that nature and just kind of seeing how things are going to develop for, for John book and how he's going to adapt or not adapt. Uh, so uh, upon this rewatch, I found that had an impact on me. Um, again, we talked about what's left unsaid, more powerful visuals uh, than dialogue. Uh, the final uh, action sequence. I love this. Great. There's a great shot. It's a POV shot from the POV of Danny Glover's character, McPhee, as he's running through with his shotgun. It's a really shaky camera. Mm-hmm. And then John Book pops out from the corner and blasts him with his own shotgun. It's a really intense shot. Love that shot. And that's what I've got for final thoughts. I have a couple other questions for you, Bill Bant, but I'll let it. you first uh, run. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think about, you know, when I see John Book in this, you know, kind of fish out of water, a stranger in a strange land. He's the minority. When have you been in a situation where you felt like you were the minority, that it really had a strong effect on you or an impact on you that was memorable? Oh, um, yeah. So this is crazy. So I worked for the Miami Dolphins for a period of time, and um, I was invited to Hong Kong to uh, participate in their um, New Year's Day parade. And I think it was the next to last night we were out and we were there with some of the uh, Dolphins cheerleaders. And, um, you know, it was kind of like the the escort to make sure they're supposed to be where where all they were kind of thing. And it was the last night. So we decided to go out in the town and ask the people at the hotel where we should go. And they're like, oh, there's this cool little district. It has all these bars and all these clubs. You you should check it out. I'm like, okay, cool. So, you know, we got in a couple of cabs and, and, and went there. And we went to go into this one bar and we walked in 
And literally, Jason, everyone turned and just looked at us. Yeah. It's the weirdest looks. And I literally just looked, turned around, looked at everyone like, we're leaving. We're going to go find somewhere else to go. And no one questioned me because they all felt the same way. Mm-hmm. We just, and we just went, but we didn't have that issue anywhere else. It was just for some reason at that one place, it just, just a very uncomfortable feeling when we, when we went in there. But, uh, the most, the rest of the trip was, was, was a great time. It was just, it was just that one, that one place where I just, I never felt that uncomfortable where it just had all eyes on me like that. Right. It was just like, uh, yeah, I don't think I'm wanted here. All right. See you later. Yeah. It's such a unique feeling. Uh, you know, I think you told me that story now that uh, you, you talk about it, it seems familiar, but because you're so used to thinking in sometimes that, you know, or you're so accustomed to being part of the majority that you look at other, those others, the minorities as uh, almost being strangers or something, or maybe that the minorities live in a different world that you're not accustomed to. You don't understand their, their traditions or rituals or whatever it might be. And then when you are in their world, they're looking at you as the stranger. I mean, the script is flipped, right? It's just, uh, it's always, you have, uh, it's upsetting in every sense of the word. Uh, but it's, I think, healthy in a way, because you have to, it gives you perspective. Oh, yeah. You know, and appreciation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wish I had a great answer for that, to answer my own question, story, but I'm just going to leave it at your story for now. Okay. Uh, my only other question here is just because I think I, I've developed a real inferiority complex or I have to deal with my issues in my own manhood because I talked about my the maybe emasculating effect this film has on me. What's the most like handyman thing? We have to see these guys build a barn in a day with basically their hands. I mean, everything is just... Uh, these guys are studs, man. What's the most handyman thing you've ever done? Oh man, that's a good question. Yeah, I'm definitely not like cars and stuff. I'm not very mechanical at all. I- IKEA furniture is that does that count? I'm pretty good at that. Yeah, sure. With everyone, an Allen wrench, you're yeah. pretty pretty handy with an Allen wrench. I, yeah, because I always hear about how many people hate those directions and can't figure that out. I I always <laughs> seem to be able to put that together. So I I can handle I can handle IKEA furniture. Okay. So, yeah. If people need help, I can, I can put it together. I can, I, I can figure out what those directions are. That's good. And now that I have, yeah, little kids too. And you're always having to put all the toys together. Yeah. I luckily, oh, follow, sure. I can luckily follow directions and, and get the toys together um, without, That's without, without the random missing. Piece. <laughs> like what's this part for? But never mind, Just play with it. Uh, that's hilarious. Yeah. I, you know, I've done a little bit of earthquake proofing with our friend Alex and that's not the foundational like bracing or construction. This is literally attaching things to walls and so they don't fall over in case of an earthquake. So I've gotten to do a bit of uh, drilling and, and uh, things like that, which has made me feel pretty good about myself in the moment. But it pales in comparison to building a barn. Uh, so that's that's as handy as I get. I'm terrible with cars and stuff. But uh, yeah, it's just there's something about you never built a lot in college. What's that? You never built a loft in college? The loft? Yeah. You yeah, mean? like in college, everyone always built lofts. So oh, yeah, yeah. yeah right. That kid was a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I never did that. Uh, okay. I did do one of those. <laughs> that's amazing. That's awesome. But, um, yeah, I mean, like, sure, like, uh, 
what was it uh stage building you know building flats and things like that maybe a little bit but not really my forte but yeah watching this film you know i think that's just what i i kid but in all seriousness there is something about with the amish tending to their land and uh, a hard day's work that it feels there's a sense that of accomplishment it seems that they really have uh in being one not just with in in their communal efforts and working together as one and building something, but doing and doing it, uh, they seem to be in touch with nature, the world around them. Uh, they build everything themselves, but even after they raise that barn, it's great. But you see them after a hard day's work, even like sharing the lemonade and the iced tea and whatnot, they're walking by a couple and they're like, Oh yeah, we built the barn for them. It's their wedding gift. Mm-hmm. Like it was like, they did it not it wasn't just it was as a gift like they were just that's what they do out of the goodness of the heart we're going to build a barn today for it's probably tradition as well but it wasn't just out of necessity to build a barn like they needed another barn they were doing it as a gesture of goodwill for this newly married couple uh there's something about the hard work hard day's work i don't know that i respect But yeah, because even um, I was thinking about this too when I watched it this time with the uh, the scene where Eli has book do the work and they have breakfast, right? And you just see all that food in there and you're like, holy crap, that's like a Thanksgiving feast. But yeah. then you realize too, you got up at four thirty. That breakfast is probably at seven. So he's been working for two and a half, busting his ass for two and a half hours. Yeah, I, that's and that's why he makes that joke. Yeah. He says, "I've never had breakfast in the middle of the night because it's yeah, still exactly. dark out." But you probably need to eat that much too from from everything you got to do to start your day. But yeah, I, I just look at that breakfast. I'm like, "Holy crap, that's a lot of food!" But I guess I guess they need it. Um, all right, Jason, throwback question because we talked about this at the beginning of the podcast. Did you come up with your Harrison Ford answer yet? I didn't, and I was just trying to think about it in the back of my head. I'm t- this is just awful. I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed. I'll have to save it for our next Harrison Ford podcast. All right, we'll we'll do that then. Um, yeah. So my final thoughts in this movie. Yeah, it, it's it's crazy how your perception of a film has changed so much. My perception of the film has changed throughout the years. Um, like I said, as, as a kid, seeing this as more of the cop thriller film, presumed yeah. innocent. Right. <laughs> hey, you said I, I told you I was going to blurt it out, man. Okay. I totally interrupted your your closing. There you I go. apologize. I no, had to that's do okay. it. That's okay. That's going to be that's got to be in my top five performances. No, that's a good one. That's a good one. I didn't, yeah. even, think of, I didn't even think about that. So no, it's good you brought that one up. Um, Sorry, you. man. You can you can start over. You can edit all the shit out of that part right there if you want, man. Sorry. No way. We're leaving, that. We're leaving that in. <laughs> Close us out. And then watching it now and seeing more of the romantical aspects of it. Just what a beautiful film it is. Another film I would definitely recommend if you have not seen it. I do believe it is Harrison Ford's best performance. He definitely deserved the Oscar nomination for it. And it's crazy, too, because you think of so many people, it's really their first roles. Viggo Mortensen, Kelly McGillis is only her second film. Uh, Alexander Gudinoff, um, and then even the actor who played um, Eli Lapp. I think it was one of his first film roles, too. And they're all just so amazing in it. Um, And just 
too. I think um, the screenplay itself is listed as one of the top 100 screenplays of all times. And right. one of the things we have mentioned a lot about it is how many of these scenes work without words. Yep. And um, if you're, you know, if you're trying to get the screenwriting, definitely watch the film and just see how you don't need to write everything out. And like I said, I'm, I'm very guilty of it too. I, I'm very dialogue heavy when I, when I write my scripts and then try to pare it down. Um, but this has so many instances where everything is done by a look or an action. So little dialogue is used in it to portray such emotional energy between uh, Harrison Ford and Kelly McGillis. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a lovely film. Uh, if you haven't watched it in a while, definitely go back uh, and give another look. And that is it. I will just say ditto, Bill Bant. Ditto. That's all I got. You nailed it. So, all right, let's wrap it up. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, you can email us at all80smoviespodcast at gmail.com. Please send us your feedback, questions, or recipes to share. You can follow us on Facebook at all80smoviespodcast. Join us again next week as we discuss the 1987 comedy romance Can't Buy Me Love starring Patrick Dempsey and Amanda Peterson. Have a totally great night, everyone. Goodbye, world. And Jason, last thing, you be careful among them English. Watch those Amish. They don't like to have their pictures taken. <laughs>